0: Welcome to VR in Education. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another exciting episode of VR in Education. Over the last few podcasts... I've endeavored to try and shed some light on the development and creation side of VR. In particular, I really wanted to unpack various developer platforms and then get feedback from industry experts and people on the ground regarding what the efficacy and fit might be for various student groups. So today on the show, we're so fortunate to have David Bass-Clark. David is the Director of VRAR Research and Development at Unity College in Maine, USA, and he works intimately with various types of programs and has a deep understanding of how VR creation aligns with student learning. David and I actually met earlier on where we connected through LinkedIn, and he was telling me some great stories about how Unity College is using VR for best-use-case scenarios. For example, uh, I'm sure that he'll weave this into our story today, and that is how they use rabbit hunting in VR to help count the number of rabbits in a local ecosystem. More on that later, but welcome to the show, David.
1: Yeah, so nice to be here. Thank you so much for having me.
0: You know, David, this is a pretty standard question, uh, most audience audiences sorry are interested in what got you interested in VR in the first place
1: oh I like that question I've probably similar although not so a, a, many people I put one on I put a headset on I guess in 2013 I think it was a Vive and uh, after I put it on and kind of experienced a fully immersive six degrees of freedom experience I was just hooked uh, like many people and I thought you know. I don't know exactly how or when, but I know that this is going to become a major part of our lives. And then it was fun, I think, to see sort of the the pop culture references and it sort of become more mainstream uh, with the uh, Ready Player One movie, you know, things like that, that everyone got very excited about and started to imagine. And what gets me jazzed to kind of why I'm still in it is that I think it can be used as a force for for good in all kinds of, you know, healthcare, therapies, training, um, engaging learning. I just think it has a lot of, a lot of untapped potential that we haven't fully embraced or discovered yet, but we're working on it as humanity. (laughs) Well
0: said. Yes. You know, I want to start with building a VR world or often called world building, which, You know, for teachers might be a great place to start, especially if they're new to VR creation and they're hoping to get their students uh, involved. The beauty of world building might be that it uh, lacks interactivity, which makes it a little simpler for students to get started. So although I've kind of unpacked it a little bit already, to you, what is world building and how do you see it being used in education?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, interestingly, I think there's a distinction here that's somewhat important to draw, which is, you know, people throw around the world VR, the word VR and immersive and XR, maybe people have heard extended reality and um, mixed reality. You know, and I think at the end of the day, one of the things that in education we have to think of and teachers know this is, you know, UDL and um, how are we going to make this accessible? How are we going to ensure that as many people as possible have access to this and so one thing i think it's important for teachers and it doesn't quite address your question but i'll get there what is world building but it doesn't have to technically fall in the realm of vr to be a three-dimensional world um and i think that's a place to start and you don't need to do a flat screen in other words on a mac on a pc on a web browser you don't need anything other than some open source software and the gumption to kind of do it Um, And there's a bunch of great learning. And what's neat about it is when you're building these three-dimensional worlds that people can experience, yes, on a computer, but also in many cases on a full virtual reality um, headset that costs money, obviously, you, you have access to both of those sometimes within the same tool set. And you're building the same type of skills, the skills that we need to, that, uh, to teach our students to develop and, you know, have careers, for example, in this are very, very similar skills, uh, in the flat screen 3d development world, which we would traditionally know as like games, right. Game development or 3d simulation development. They're very similar to the ones in VR. They're not the same. There are some additional or kind of adjusted skills, but but they're very, very similar. And that. Is is a really nice place to start. So world building, um, I don't know the exact definition. That's beyond perhaps my expertise. But yeah, building these worlds, as you pointed out, that have a little bit of a lower level of interactivity. And so there's a kind of a suite of tools that we might go through. Um, but as you get more complex in the tool set, you get more customization and interactivity and uh, level of detail that you can put into an experience. And so I'm not, I'm sure we're going to talk about it, but, you know, hubs is a good example of a, a semi open source platform that is very limited in some ways in what it can do. But for that reason is a great entry point for a lot of people made by Mozilla, the Mozilla foundation.
0: What you said just briefly, I'm, I want to unpack this as well. Um, yeah, I often get this question, well, why, why spend the money, or why get my program into VR if I can just build it on a 2D screen? And mm-hmm. I know many of us understand this, but maybe to, to let the audience know, you know, is there a difference then? Why not just buy computers and set up a computer lab and allow my students at my school to build worlds, mm-hmm. 3D spaces for people to meet up and, and learn and
1: experience
0: in in a
1: flat 2d computer right yeah what so and uh, phrase another way why didn't second life take off <laughs> mm. so for those not not familiar sort of pre-official vr days although there have been many resurgences of vr over the last 30 years but um you know second life i'm not i'm i should brush up on that i'm not even sure but many years ago i can't remember do you remember the exact year <laughs> that second life was created but... yeah decades i would say or at least a decade and a half, you know, we had this virtual world and it was flat screen and there's a lot of theories about why it didn't work. Um, but without getting, or didn't work is not a, not a fair assumption, but why it didn't go mainstream and kind of become larger and larger. And it's still used today. Second life is still in use. But, um, but I think there's a fundamental difference if you've never been for anyone that's listening to this, that hasn't ever actually done, Fully immersive VR. When I say that, I mean things like Oculus Quest, uh, HTC Vive. If you haven't done something like that, and to be clear, something that you something that is um, high production value. So something that someone spend a lot of time probably putting together. And the reason that's important is I think then you have this experience where you feel like you're there. And if you ever watch someone, you know, it it's like you walk up to a cliff and you get that feeling in your stomach, right? You get that. You don't know what's over that other side. You feel like you might fall people around you might be laughing because you're just standing on the floor. But this sense of really transporting someone to another time and place and tr- tricking our brains is an important sense, I think. And that's where things like therapy come into play. Like what could this be used to treat PTSD? Can this be used to, um, in healthcare? Can this be used in education in a way that engages students? The other thing that we get is we get a whole bunch of data, which we can go into later. We get a whole bunch of data from these experiences that we wouldn't normally have with, and and again, pros and cons here, but eye tracking, uh, where did the student, was the student in physical space? What did they do? And in what order that you don't always get with some of the data points you get in three-dimensional flat screen experiences. Um, but just to turn around your question at the and last thing I'll say is this, because I can talk forever about this. I, I don't think it has to be binary, kind of what I, I don't think it has to be, you know, I think it would be a, a wise decision to say we already have computer labs. You're not, you don't need to build a computer lab for this in many places. We already have students with computers. So if we can start them there, and we can say, build these three-dimensional roles. And by the way, if you are you happen to have an Oculus or, you know, if you happen to have one of these things, it works there too. And we can start comparing and contrasting and studying, which have already been a lot of studies around this. You know, what is the difference between training in a flat screen three-dimensional environment and in, uh, in a fully immersive one? So I guess that's the way I would like to sort of put, turn it back is it doesn't have to be you know, one or the other. And the advantage is a truly strong sense of time and space and emotional connection to the content is much easier to create when you have someone completely focused on the world around them. They literally can't see the student next to them or their brother behind them or their, you know, and they can't hear in many cases. They're totally involved in that world. So that has some advantages, obviously.
0: I think Minecraft earlier on on the computer really in education anyway set the stage for the fact that there is efficacy for people students especially to start to use their brain for 3d spatial learning and build worlds because again in schools i think many teachers are familiar with the program minecraft but since then there have been a host of other vr platforms already made and designed that people can build their own space. Students could alter an existing space and modify it maybe to a certain theme Mm -hmm. or maybe as a museum to showcase their work where people come into this space and they can hang up maybe some of their posters of a project they did. These VR spaces, some of them I'm going to list are things like Rec Room, or mm-hmm. another one that is quite popular right now and ready made, easy for teachers to get into, might be Altspace VR. Mm-hmm. Or one that I use uh, prevalently and I actually teach in is Engage. And then you also mentioned Mozilla Hubs. Mm. All, all these platforms, as I said before, really lower the barrier for students and teachers because they allow them to create in these platforms with very little understanding of anything related to coding or developing your own assets. You know, walk us through maybe how someone would create something
1: within one of these platforms. Yeah. So Rec Room is a good example. Um, and again, I think there's a distinction, some of these platforms like, uh, AltSpace space is uh, agnostic, and I think there's power to that. If you could find a platform that is is device agnostic as much as possible, and even recently, you know, speaking with someone who did Burning Man was part. Of, they did a Burning Man uh, event in um, Alt Space, and it was huge. And that person convinced um, alt space to open up back up to Mac because they are owned by Microsoft. So now you can on a Mac, on a PC, on a virtual reality device on the web. Uh, well, I don't know if on the web, but you can, you can access this by via many clients. I think that's powerful. Another distinction, but and again, at just high level is whether or not you're authoring these experiences from within a VR device or on a flat screen. In some cases you're building in flat screen, but then experiencing in VR, in cases you're building in VR and experiencing VR. But those are things to think about. And if you're if this is confusing to someone who's never heard this, I think as you hear about this and delve into it more, you'll understand the differences there. Um, but uh, obviously, if you're going to have to be building in VR, you need a virtual reality um, headset or a piece of equipment. So with Rec Room, um, again, no coding, like you said, required many of these. You basically pick uh, a base sort of room. And again, actually, Craig, you might be, uh, more uh, up on this than I am because I I don't actively create in Rec Room, but from what I last remembered creating in Rec Room, you sort of pick rooms, they have templates, and then you place objects in virtual reality. So you're able to um, um, add in different uh, objects, move them around, kind of change the landscape around you. And then Rec Room also has um, a really interesting social gaming sort of component. Um, and so you can create communities and have that social sort of, if you're a teacher, if you're coming from education, you know, Vyatsky's um, social learning theory and all these theories, that's where you get to really experiment and and play with those. Um, so I, I do like Rec, rec Room and, and it's quite powerful. You also mentioned, um, well, actually, is that, uh, before I do that, is that a fairly, again, you might use this even more than I do. Is that a fairly accurate uh, description of how, how, They work in oral description. Yeah, no, it was fantastic. I mean, a a caveat
0: to that, which, you know, might open up Pandora's box here is just (laughs) you have to in in some of these like rec room, you know, you have to be careful as a teacher uh, Mm. who you allow to come as part of your community. Mm -hmm. I think uh, schools more than ever need to be almost walled gardens because they Mm -hmm. have such high pastoral care for their students that, uh, they want to make sure if they're under the supervision of the school or school system, you know, who, who's allowed to come into your room that you built and who isn't. Um, and other than that, it was fantastic. And I, I loved, I loved your
1: description. Right. And you make a very good point that we could go off in a tangent there, but I will say I'm working with a group of kind of CIO level people and people in XR at higher ed that are very interested in exactly what you just said, not only in the more, there's a morality and ethical component to that. And then there's the legality of it. And you work, I know internationally, there's all different laws, but in the United States, I know those laws a little better. There's ADA compliance, there's section 508, section 504. You know, these are things that not only help compel us to use, you know, UDL principles, but they're, they're, they're the law. And so when we think about protecting students with you know from you know using FERPA regulations we have to make sure that these tools are up to up to snuff and and many of them are not and these are important um, questions to be to be asking unfortunately at this point in time I think there are way more questions than answers in this space of privacy and data protection and um, which tools are exactly but I, I will say you know some tools are taking this very very seriously, and as you said, very important to have a private, like I think it's called a private lounge, or it used to be called a private lounge in Rec Room. You know, being able to keep it private and not allow new people in is is really important if there is that social component. For that reason, we mainly produce items that are individual at Unity College. So we build um, experiences students can experience on their own time, not social. So they have a highly interactive three-dimensional component. You mentioned the rabbits. Um you know, we were trying to get, how do they estimate a rabbit population? It's a really physical skill. How are they going to do that online? How are they going to learn it when they don't have a forest outside their door? You know? And so that's where this, this technology is a really kind of magical almost ability to, to capture that data and give them that experience. So now your, your students that you have are obviously college aged. So
0: do you kind of Do you jump up the ladder, so to speak, and when they build, say, a forest where you can help out ecology or biology and do more accurate counts on rabbits, when they build that forest, do they hop into something a lot more advanced? Or is it literally just drag and drop assets that that you might do in a more simplistic program, a template type program like Altspace or Rec Room or Mozilla Hubs?
1: Yeah. So the things we build, uh, that brings to another good point. The things we build, we generally build, uh, that are highly interactive. We generally build in more complex engines such as unity or Unreal, the unity engine, not to be confused with unity college, <laughs> same name, <laughs> different institution. Uh, so, and the reason we do that is that at the, t- at this point in time, although this is rapidly changing, you know, there's a level of flexibility we want to build and sort of reality that that we're looking for that isn't quite yet available although every day i see new tools and new sort of things so we actually build those with students some from our students some from students at at our hackathons. so we don't we don't actually teach um we don't have like a game development uh program or uh but we do have a lot of subject matter experts that help us so when students first come in they're just experiencing these they're not building them at all And I think that's kind of an important phase in this is just for students to experience educational content, not entertainment. There's a lot of entertainment, right? But educational content in these, and then get them excited about some of the possibilities that might also be entertaining so that they can then go, oh, I really want to learn that when they start to learn. I think it really depends on the level of, you know, what type of students, what size core class what's the format is it synchronous or asynchronous you know we're building badges for example which i think we mentioned to you we've spoken about with tools like amazon sumerian which are somewhere kind of in between um a mozilla hubs or rec room and a unity they have a little more interactivity they're a little more powerful a little more complex they still are kind of limited and they um are more more graphical than program language right and um and so I think that's a place to kind of, there's middle ground tools that students can, that we're looking to also educate students and teachers to be able to use. Um, and and those experiences, again, don't have to be social. What they output may just be something that lives on the web. Uh, and and I, I guess I'll put in here another framework, which is, you're very familiar with this, Craig, but you know WebXR is something that I want to throw in here. I think the future, I think where we're going, if t- this is for teachers and for educators, for administrators, is you know 5 years from now there are we're going to have a lot more of our processing power on the web we're going to be emulating we're going to be walking around with things like chromebooks things and are you know things that don't have a lot of internal processing power but a lot of that processing power is going to be done off site and so is that
0: because of the f- 5G movement
1: i think that has a lot to do with it but i also think we're just getting to that point where the scale of mass producing individual hardware is more expensive than renting right the amount of hardware you need on the cloud at the moment you need it because the truth is most people don't need that oomph very often and being able to scale that oomph for when you want it is very powerful so your local device doesn't need to have all that power when we get as we're thinking about that future and again this is where education sometimes lags behind i think we need to think ahead here these engines and these applications that are client based where we have to build one for the Mac and one for the PC and one for this one for that. I think we're going to see more. What's what you would know today as web geo, which is and web XR, which is that's built and lives entirely on the web and it adjusts itself. So if you're on a VR headset, it knows which headset it adjusts itself. That's a frame and, um, and you know, hubs that, that, that idea is, is that it's all on the web and it can adjust itself to the flat screen. It can also adjust itself to the VR headset. And so I think tools that use those kind of frameworks that can live on the web are forward-looking tools and and tools that are going to be really powerful to democratize this type of access.
0: Well, the the other beauty of WebXR, which I agree with you, I think is the future, is that you can send someone simply just a link and yes. they can access that link within their headset That's and right. that takes them right to the experience so i know you've already talked about this but just to make it crystal yes, clear yes. for the listeners you don't have to download anything you don't have to worry about you know some of the other hardware within your headset you click on the link and it's like going to a web page on your computer but you're inside your vr headset and you're there so right. another very convenient Way
1: to experience VR, right? And I want to—I want to encourage. I know teachers; it's so scary if you—if you're that person that you're like listening to us and you're like, "Oh my gosh, there's so many words here; it's too much," right? Like, I think giving, you know, researching enough to know that students are safe, and then letting students in on this, bringing them into the conversation, and exploring this, almost no matter the age of the student, is is. Is where you can start, right? It can be as simple as let's watch me go into a hub's room with someone I already know, and what can we do, right? You can drive, they can watch in the beginning, even if they're very young, and say what can we do in this space, and what let's dream up something, let's think about what we can do, and it can start there, and that's it. And then you're learning together. You're not saying you're you're not that sage on the stage, you know, you're you're that sort of guide on the side, and I think that's. That's probably where you want to start if you're totally lost, but really interested, then you'll learn and grow with the students. If you're a little farther along, you know, you can get into some of these like picking the right tool and building your own worlds, having students build their worlds. But I just don't want people to be scared away by, um, you don't have to do a whole unit. You know, you don't have to do a whole, a whole, um, event, to, to, to jump into this and experiment and and open this up to the students themselves. Because, you, you know, we did a hackathon in 24 hours. We had students from all over the United States come and they just didn't sleep and built stuff we just couldn't have, would never have thought of, right? They're, they're applying these ideas that we do, don't think about often because they're have they these digital natives that are in just a whole different world than, than many of us grew up in. Although... Nowadays, a lot of teachers are digital natives too. But
0: (laughs) well, it's funny, you know. There is all sorts of cliches with what the point you are trying to get across. One is, you know, walk before you run, or don't don't dive into the deep end; start at the shallow end. But you know, more to my point, the best metaphor I think might be to don't even fill up the pool with water; jump into the empty pool grab the hose and let the water run yeah. as you and the students are inside that swimming pool. Right. I think t- teachers do need to realize that, you know, things are changing and evolving, evolving all the time. And it's okay to be, you know, behind or maybe a little bit ahead or sometimes behind again, the, the, the knowledge chasm that technology often has for people.
1: Yeah. And I mean, I just love, I get so excited and like nodding my head. Nobody can see me, but, um, but I think it's, you know, oh, and now we're getting a little beyond VR, but I think it's so applicable here. Opening that level of vulnerability up and saying almost like making a game of it, like, oops, bug alert, you know, like this, oops, something broke. Man, this worked last week and this week. That's exactly the skill, the technology attitude, the technology, uh, experience that students are constantly having already in their own lives and are going to have more and more of. And so being able to, as a, as a class, as a group say, okay, how, what do we do when we get this? Like, how do we think about fixing this? How do we, do we have alternatives? Those are, that is the learning, right? That is, that is what programmers do all day long. They Google things, <laughs> right? They Google it and they figure it out and they reach out to their communities and they break things and they fix things. And so I think that is the mentality you want. And Oh, you know what? Become an expert at one little thing. Like there's this thing called Z fighting. I don't know. Are you familiar with that, Craig? I am not, David. No, I've never heard of it. So like this is a a little bit deep, right? But z fighting is this idea that um the axes of different uh being able to find out where something is in three-dimensional space is sometimes very difficult i don't know if you experienced this before but you get in from one angle and you think the dog is here but actually you turn around and it's floating three feet above where you thought it was because you're at a different angle and so we come up with these really interesting challenges of design in 3d space and this is we can look into it later. was called z fighting is a, a one way to kind of conceptualize and, and mathematically find out where something is in a three dimensional plane. Now that sounds kind of intense, but even somebody who doesn't know much about this could spend you know an hour, two hours, kind of brushing up on this and teach this basic, relatively basic three dimensional concept to a group of students, and that's it. You just say, "Wow, I learned this new thing, and now I'm gonna I'm gonna teach you about this now." You all come and teach us something about some other way, some other problem we're having. And the cool thing about those like Z fighting is that it's, um, it's applicable across any tool, right? It doesn't matter what tool you're using. You're going to have this same problem. And I think those are the skills we want to teach our students. Cause it's, it's, it's platform agnostic. Doesn't matter where the technology goes, we're still going to have this, this challenge. So those are, I think the skills that are really important to Once you get into that second level, maybe you can teach without being an expert in all things user experience in 3D.
0: Let's get into skill building a little bit more. So, you know, we set the stage for beginning teachers thinking, okay, you know, maybe pre-made or pre-packaged world building might be a place to start where they're using, you know, shapes like blocks and cubes and cones to try and allow students to build A three-dimensional world but maybe it's not very interactive so they're not picking things up there's no physics yet involved but then they get that sort of down and they've got amazing worlds built in maybe mozilla hubs or some of these other pre-packaged and now they're ready for the stage where wait a minute now i want my kids to be able to learn how to roll a ball in this world or Mm. grab an object and be able to throw it which brings us to some more sophisticated programs because these ready-made cookie cutter ones we mentioned earlier don't Mm -hmm. allow students to do that. So I just want to list a few of them. Some of them you've already talked about before and maybe unpack that a little more for teachers who are new to this to see where they might go next. So making things, objects and people move around and providing physics obviously requires higher levels of investigation, and sophistication. One of them, which I've actually dived myself into that you mentioned, is a a platform called A-Frame. So in A-Frame, it's WebXR, which means it can live on the web. It has a link. Do you want to talk a little bit more about one of the questions that teachers obviously get really scared about is coding. Mm -hmm. Should I be or do I have to be teaching coding to my students? Let's start with that actually mm-hmm. to code to code David, or not to code is it <laughs> is it essential? Is it something when you know you think about computer studies that is going by the wayside or is mm. it still a very important skill?
1: That's actually a t- I wish I had a better answer for that to be totally honest. I think i w- i've am evolving in my sense of that every day. I do think that the things we teach students I think that uh, uh, an understanding of kind of what coding is on a, at a high level is pretty important and what its limitations are. Being able to speak about kind of different types of, of high level experiences is good. I don't think students, when we get into like, does every student have to understand what a loop is, right? Which is a very basic coding concept. I would think no. And the reason I say that is that we're getting to a point where, um, you know, visual scripting, right? is, is, is a, a loop without learning the context of the numbers and letters that go behind a loop. And that's things like scratch, which a lot of teachers are are familiar with, right? Like taking puzzle pieces that are programming language at a meta level and being able to manipulate them. I think that's still a valuable skill, but I will say we're getting, we're evolving to a point where I think even that we're going to think of ways to kind of templatize and automate and build these experiences gets it gets easier and easier and easier. That being said, I just don't know when I think today it's still very important to teach those concepts, but I'm every day. I learn more and more about things that make it less important, I would say. So I, what I don't think every student needs to know is the actual, again, like uh, syntax of, you know, with a frame, you know, you get really into coding that, that is part of a frame. Um, and, and there's a lot of things that can make it easier, but it is very heavy in coding. And then that's my experience. And again, I'm not an expert in a frame, I would say, but is that your experience as well, Craig?
0: Yeah, I did a bunch of research because I thought where, you know, it's time for me to start building experiences. I I know the philosophy behind VR. I know, user-centered design when it comes to VR. And yeah. so I've spent maybe three months now learning A-Frame. And I picked A-Frame because actually in my humble opinion, it had the lowest bar. Uh-huh. It, it seemed that the the syntax that they're teaching me in the programs that I'm taking is low enough and in, intuitive enough for someone who's brand new. I don't come from a computer science background i come from a a, a science a chemistry background right and you know it it just i love it for that reason it's basically coding you know i hate to use the term but coding for dummies (laughs) and there there isn't a ton of syntax or language within a frame that would get me frustrated because you know like learning any language whether it's german or french you know there's a huge barrier that you have to get over before you can start carrying on decent conversations, and I want to apply that to VR and VR experiences. Is you know how can we minimize that barrier so that you are you know proverbial carrying on conversations within VR? In other words, making objects move and and right. animate. And so my experience as A-Frame actually is uh, fairly
1: light in that regard. Mm-hmm. And I mean, the cool, the great thing about a frame that you mentioned is that it's got quite a community behind it has a discord and a slack and it has a frame school, um, you know, so it has a lot of great free resources for teaching people and you can take essentially code snippets, which a lot of these, yes. have, you know, so that you, you may not understand exactly how that code snippet works, but you can apply t- which means essentially copying and pasting pieces of code into an area and, 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 and have something happen in the space and reflect in the space. So, and I mean, the other great thing about eFrame is it's based upon basically, you know, an HTML, uh, it's in its, in its sort of structure. And so that's a super useful and not so difficult form of code in terms of the way that, coding languages go. So, and I, by the way, I'm not a coder either. So two people, not not coders talking about this.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm still on the fence. It's funny how, you know, I struggle with that question too, is that I agree. Scratch really opened up robotics for many schools and teachers because it was so easy for them to drag and drop blocks and then learn it themselves and then sort of feel courageous enough to get in the classroom and then teach programming that way to kids and I feel like there still isn't the scratch moment yet for VR right I don't know like you might have more experience than I in in regards to that for example Amazon Sumerian I I had no idea until I talked to you earlier on a few weeks ago about this Mm -hmm. what is
1: Amazon Sumerian is it more block-based interactivity so Amazon Sumerian is a bit of an a bit of a unicorn it. Um, and by the way, I don't know. I mean, obviously none of these companies, I'm not affiliated with any of these companies officially, but um, I don't know like AWS it's, it's based on AWS. It's based on Amazon web services. And the powerful thing about it is that it, it is able to integrate with Amazon's services for AI, Amazon's, um, uh, Many different services that Amazon has on its back end and that makes it kind of an interesting, powerful th- um, thing. It's also web-based, so it's it's really designed for data visualization, training simulations. Uh, it can do e-commerce and sort of things like that as well. And yeah, it can get it's it's um, it can get code-heavy, but you can do it all pretty much without a line of code. So it is based in. Um, C++, uh, which is a little bit of a heavier programming language. But again, you can get into it without without learning almost any code at all. So yeah, but it integrates with a bunch of other services. And I love that it's, again, web-based and has a bit of an AI component. But it's really for building certain types of prototypes, I would say, and less so for just completely open-ended world creation, although you could, in theory, use it for that. The other thing is, it's extremely cheap. It's not actually free. It depends on the usage, but it's nearly free in in most cases. It's very, very cheap unless you have mass amounts of people using it. Another one I want to bring up is Zoe. Did I tell you about Zoe?
0: Mm-hmm. I uh, I'm hoping to get Emily Jolly on uh, my podcast oh, this awesome. week
1: or so. But oh, feel sweet. free, yeah. Feel no, free I mean I'll let her. The... Yo, no, I mean I'll let her. And I, I've only done a little bit with this. It's new to me as of I don't know, a few m- months ago. I want to say, but um. From what I can see, they've they are one of those candidates, as you said, for kind of what is a scratch junior look like? Um, Very very simple UX in creating VR, and you can do programming as well, but it's all um, it's all based on language. So you're just saying, you know, I if this happens, then that, Um, and so that that's a pretty powerful thing. And and I know they're a young growing organization, but I'm really excited to see where they go and they're really focused on education. And so that's exciting. Um, so Zoe is one, again, that one, as far as I know, only available in headsets, although I think they're expanding to mobile devices, I believe. And again, when I would say if we're checking off boxes here for teachers, um, they're gonna, they're looking to build a, I think I already have built a plugin for unity. Um, and I think those types of companies that's you know, because then you can get, if you have a student or if you want to grow into that, that option is there as opposed to these completely closed systems. Altspace also, I think you can import unity scenes, although I haven't personally done that. So
0: let's talk about unity, unity for a second, again, thinking about the other listeners and maybe the fact that they've never sort of opened up unity to, um, Check it out. I have. I, I've tried some of the Unity tutorials. For example, there's one really popular one there that walks me through how to roll a ball. Mm-hmm. And sadly, my experience was negative because I followed the tutorial and I'm, you know I keep going back to it because I I'm a pretty resilient person and don't want to give up. But something's wrong with the way I entered something because my ball won't roll. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it it just sort of speaks volumes for for me anyway yeah, personally yeah. that it it is uh not for the faint of heart and right. it requires so many little detailed steps and you know that brings up the idea that are we teaching kids to think or are we simply just teaching kids to copy something and repeat it right mm. i i would hope that you know we want kids sure, in the learning process, maybe, you know, do as I do first, mm-hmm. you know, or do as I say, and then go off on your own and and build your own thing or modify and then start to get creative. But I feel like Unity, it's hard to do that second step. You know, you might be able to follow a tutorial they have on the website and do this next. And right, right. And I, I had to I- copy a bunch of C sharp programming, which I had no mm-hmm. idea what it was. Right. So if there's a mistake, I have no idea, you know. Right. And so that that's the issue I have with Unity and maybe Unreal Engine, which we'll talk briefly about. How about you? What? Tell me a bit about. I think that's your spot,
1: no. I think that's spot on. I think they're maddeningly difficult programs, as much as they would like to. Um, as much as they would maybe like not to be, (laughs) um, and as much as they, to be honest, were worse. I do think that they've gotten better. I think that they were even more complex. That being said, they're getting more powerful too. So the complexity goes up as they become extremely powerful and what they can produce. But you'll, I mean, one, yes, I would say that you need a lot of resilience and you need to not be afraid of coding to really get into those engines they do have like unreal has something called blueprints which again is visual scripting very similar to like a if you if you're familiar with scratch it looks like that but like much more intense right much much more you can do with it as for like scratch for adults right For, for adults that are really deep into it so that makes it a little easier because to your point you don't ever really have to look at the code and in theory those blocks help kind of uh so that you cuz oftentimes more often than not when you're typing into unity it's just you press a space when you didn't shouldn't have pressed it or you pressed the wrong key and it's like how do you find that right so this helps uh, avoid that but and unity has an, a similar thing they're releasing or they already released so they they're all doing that but i agree it's not for the faint of heart i just think it's a nice thing to know if you're picking a tool especially as an administrator that there are going to be students particularly at the high school level who will just figure it out they they will you know they're sort of natural programmers and it's nice to have that option for those students if you have a tool that works that plays nice which is where a tool like Zoe and Emily I don't actually know Emily personally but but um but I'm I'm seeing the praises of that I think it's great that they're starting with something so simple right no programming needed whatsoever and yet they're also thinking about kind of down the road or for people that want to take it to that next level. So, but I agree with you, Craig. I think you're spot on with, it's very frustrating. I personally work with a lot of developers in unity. Um, but I don't do a lot of coding in unity myself and find it to be frustrating. I do also think it's a skill though. I think it's a skill that when you get stuck, as you said, how do you fix it? That mindset? And I know you have it, but it's like, Knowing the resources is part of the teaching, I think, that will need to happen more at the higher ed and high school level for programmers, for people that want to do this, Is that mentality. And they're learning it on their own right now somewhat, but it'd be great for us to be teaching what kind of resources are available for when you get stuck in communities, etc.
0: I mean, if I was to give a recommendation on this podcast, it would be to either investigate more with Zoe or... As I already alluded to, A-Frame for me has been a great place. I've, I've developed my A-Frame skills quite a bit in just three short months. And so if you're a teacher, especially in the high school, who maybe their administration is wanting them to have a computer science component linked to VR, uh, I would highly recommend A-Frame. How about you?
1: Yeah, I think, like you said, there's there's kind of a lower level level without any coding where you can do social VR, what we were talking about earlier in the program. I think if you that would be a place to start if you want to do that kind of multiplayer, multiple people. But if you want to do just individual experience, and A-Frame can, in theory, do some of that as well too. It's not that I... But, but I I think that it's a much more powerful A-Frame than those, those lower level ones. You can make a lot more with it. And I do think it has a much better entry point than... I, w- I would avoid Unity and Unreal uh, unless you're a computer science teacher or that, or you want to spend a lot of your time, uh, teaching students some very, very powerful engines. So I think we're aligned in that way.
0: I want to end the show just talking about hackathons, hackathons, as you have already talked about are quite popular and they're, they're getting more and more popular for VR. I mean, a hackathon can be, you know, doesn't have to be VR related, but There have been more people that have been trying this sort of thing. And, uh, you know, the question becomes if someone wanted to start a hackathon but their kids had no experience, is that even possible? If you wanted to have kids be given a design challenge of some sort, maybe on the topic of sustainability, can you get into organizing a hackathon even though the kids have no understanding
1: of these programs? so yeah i think there's a bunch of levels of hack. you could have like a mini hackathon inside of a classroom right it's just kind of a mentality uh in my opinion and, and and the time set aside to work on a problem together and to problem solve i think with younger children in particular but even with adults you know structure is very important as every teacher knows for like roles and you know there's a lot of um great online resources um one of them that has some nice um uh, resources for hackathons is DevPost. I don't know if people are familiar with that, but, uh, that also has kind of larger hackathons that you could take part of as a, as a classroom and be a team, like, like submit a team, submit a project together. Um, and there's usually prizes there. And those are sometimes put on by companies. So there's a lot of hackathons you can join, particularly now from, from, from anywhere in the world and, and be a part of, and, and those are great. And you can also do it in your, in your own, um, classroom um i think what's important to me is that again that mentality of learning and growing and open-ended here are the resources and now it's competitive right it's kind of a it's a mindset where you get into competition with other people and you're trying to solve a problem and so i I, I love the idea i think i will say we put on a hackathon recently and it was more large a little larger than just inside of our own institution and it's a lot of work um i don't want to i don't want to uh, belittle that it is, it is a serious amount of time and effort. Uh, if you want to have a great result, I think, but, uh, that's where I would say a school kind of banding together, a few teachers banding together, uh, would probably do better. But have you done much with, with hackathons, Craig? I know you are familiar. I have, with them.
0: I have judged a couple, but mm-hmm. I haven't, uh, set any up within any of the schools that I've been at, uh, I know a, a gentleman out of Kansas City keeps inviting me. Uh, <laughs> Rohit is his name. Uh-huh. And uh, he sort of, it was a, two years ago, he was sort of one of the first, I believe, in the high school level that was starting to do these sorts of things. So that's how I got uh, educated about them. And then when I met you, I, I knew you guys were doing one on sustainability.
1: Yeah, we just finished one. I mean, when was that? I guess that was November. And we had a great time. It was sustainability, hacking your own education and XR. How can we use XR to really answer some of these pressing sustainability and environmental issues of our time? And we had people come up with all kinds of crazy fun stuff. Like one group built a UN simulator. You're a decision maker at the UN and you have all your advisors around. You have to make decisions about how you're going to spend your billions of dollars on what and how it affects the world around you. And that was just, I would never have thought of that. (laughs) And uh, we had a fire simulation. What is it? Uh, forest fires what does that feel like to be in that and how what can we do about those farming simulators etc so it's we we have a blast and i don't know i do a little shameless plug but if people can keep up if they just google um xr or extended reality unity college make sure the college there they'll find our our website and uh, we have an innovation lab and yeah we're always looking for for teachers at any level, educators, administrators, but also private companies. And I think that's one of the powers of the hackathon, by the way, is bringing in, you know, we had private companies sponsor some of our prizes. And, you know, this is where the power of like taking, taking, knocking down those walled gardens where they don't need to be, where when a private, I think, you know, having, a, a solving a real world problem for a company is a really interesting, uh, potentially not just monetarily lucrative, but shows the student that they have impact on things outside uh, the classroom, right? And it doesn't have to be a private company, it could be a nonprofit, you know, it could be, it could be anything really, but just showing that there's, there's an impact and there's a, there's an application for this learning can be very powerful.
0: Yeah. And giving them this high level of authenticity, right? I mean, often right. we cook up assignments and projects for kids that have a dead end, you know, that right. just ends up, you know, collecting digital dust. But and they know that,
1: right? They get yeah. that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well said. David, I'm going to wrap things up by uh, just saying, how could people get a hold of you if they're interested either just in what you're doing, or I think you already alluded to the amazing stuff that you're sort of having unity college progress through as well.
1: Yeah. Uh, email's a great way. Uh, and uh, that's D as in David, B as in boy, A-S-S hyphen C-L-A-R-K, D-Bass hyphen Clark at unity.edu. And uh, and my contact information's on the web, on our websites as well. But yeah, feel free to reach out anytime. And uh, I'm just so thrilled to have to have been able to chat with you, Craig. And I can't wait till we can chat more offline. I know we have other things to catch up on. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I concur. Uh, you know, fantastic conversations like this are what we need for VR to keep progressing in the educational world. So I really appreciate you taking the time to come on the show.
1: Yeah. Thank you so much. I had a great time.
0: Awesome. Bye for now, David.
1: All right. Take care.